this this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. Welcome to Perfect Organism. This is the second episode of our podcast, and today Jamie and I are going to be talking about sequels and what works and what doesn't. Yeah, so here we are again. Uh, thanks everybody for all the likes that we've got on Facebook. We've gotten we just are are the likes that we have and the the support that we're getting from so many different pages and sites has been awesome. Um, but yeah, like Pete was saying, we are we want to talk about sequels and. And uh, there's just so much ground to cover, and there there's just so much happening, too. There's also some news that we can talk about later, but uh, I say we get right into talking about sequels and uh, why why I think that they're important. But essentially, you know, we have the Alien series, and so we have two highly successful films, Alien and Aliens, and then two films that were completely unsuccessful, even though I do have love for Alien 3. Um, and it's interesting to see why those work and why they don't. Um, now, I I don't know about you, Pete, but for me, I, I, I re, reading in forums like AVP Galaxy and other places, I see a lot of people say, a lot of fanboys and girls say, oh yeah, Colonial Marines, Colonial Marines, let's score, get more Colonial Marines. And for me, uh, I don't think that Colonial Marines are the answer for our next Alien film. We've seen it. No. Uh, I think... Uh, James Cameron did it really well. I think he did it incredible. Not just really well. He he just he he blew it up. It was awesome. I don't think being having a successful sequel to Aliens is going to be then introducing more Marines. We've been down that road, and I've noticed. And I don't know about you, but I've noticed with fanboys and girls, they're so they, people get so crazy and strung out on what they love about a certain film. They want to see it again. And what happens is if you try and recreate that again, it pretty much falls on its ass. And I think that's what happened in Alien Resurrection. They tried Pokemon to is um, pretty similar because I think it was the guy who initially created Pokemon, uh, the Japanese man. I don't remember his name, but he said basically he want, uh, he gets so many fan letters at Game Freak or whoever makes Pokemon games now. And all of them say they want a new game, they want a new story, but they want all the characters from the first generation Pokemon games. So it's fruitless to just want something new that only recycles what was old. And, uh, and you were mentioning how, you know, a lot of people get crazy about like, Oh, one theme or this, this one specific thing that attracted them to what they liked initially. Um, but I think it would be wise for the next alien film to go in a new direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, why do you think, uh, I mean, I have my, I know for me, but I'm interested, like, why do you think aliens worked so well? Um, well, I have my little handy cheat sheet on notepad here. Um, I, I honestly could not find anything wrong with it besides the one thing I discussed with you earlier, but you know, you have a really strong follow up to just this insanely original science fiction horror film. It essentially set the genre um, it's a strong follow-up. You have a great cast with tons of diversity. I think uh, Pharaoh and Vasquez really kicked ass in the film. And even though uh, Pharaoh didn't really get the ending she deserved, um, Vasquez went out like a hero. And, of course, Ripley being the ultimate girl badass. 
really set a precedent at the time because you didn't necessarily have a lot of strong female leads. Um, def- so it was definitely ahead of its time. Um, spectacular cinematography, um, which including the effects, I'd say one up the original and the uh, expansion on LV-426 being colonized was wonderful. You know, how it turned from LV-426 to Hadley's Hope and the special edition expanded further, which was pretty cool. Um, the mother-daughter dynamic was wonderful, in my opinion, because you have Ripley, who lost her daughter. She died when she was in hypersleep. And for many of you listening, and, uh, if you haven't seen the special edition, the special edition introduces Ripley's daughter, Amanda Ripley. Many of you probably already know that based off uh, Alien Isolation, but I just thought I'd throw that in there for context. Right, right. Um, it's, it's a great game, by the way, but we'll talk about that some other time. Um, and then the set design and the visual aesthetic. Uh, which was a strong hallmark about the first film. Um, I mean, you know, they don't make movies like that anymore. Everything's essentially just all CGI and, you know, computer and everything. Nobody wears real costumes. It's all green screen. You know, you have people spending hundreds of hours building these sets and ensuring that the way that the film looks fits a specific aesthetic and it's just a great companion. And then, of course, you know, it's furthering Ripley's story. You know, this lady deals with so much shit. The company that tried to kill her throws her back. And the aliens that tried to kill her are also trying to get her again. So she can't really win. And then the whole uh, love aspect with Hicks I thought was good. Yeah, and it was understated. It was You could tell that there was some chemistry there, but they didn't go full on. I mean, they really couldn't because it was a desperate situation. But what I love about Ripley and Vasquez... More so because Vasquez is the only other woman. They're not just strong women because they wield guns. They're not strong women because uh, they swear. They're strong women because despite their circumstances, they rise above it. Like, I think some people think, oh, Ripley's a strong, great female character. But for them, that means, oh, she has a gun and she blows things up. That's not no, what strong ma- people. Strong people are going to be strong because they're born that way yeah. or it's the result of the circumstances they've been thrust into. Yeah, and they can rise above it. And even the mother aspect with Ripley and Newt. Um, I felt like it was really it was it was just ingenious writing on the part of James Cameron where she had these mothering instincts with Newt, but she wasn't like she struck Ripley struck a good balance between yes this girl needs someone and I'm here for her but like she's also ends up being the mother to everybody else there at the same time she becomes she then becomes the people who rescue the Marines from where they were when they found all the colonists. Um, she just takes over that role. She's everybody's mother, um, realizing mm-hmm. that she has to get these people out of the situation because no one else is looking after their own, their own, their own, I guess. The, yeah, except for Ripley. <laughs> and Ripley knows, sort of knows. She's still kind of groggy from the events of Alien, still trying to get over all that in her own psychoneurosis or whatever she's going through. And then again, like you said, she's thrust in this position um, and uh, she's just got to, she has to kind of shoot from her hip and just go, 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 you know? And you know, there's a couple of things like I know with aliens uh, when uh, Hudson is saying, Hey man, Dietrich and Foss, you can still read them. She goes, it's too late for them. They're still being cocooned just like the others, but it was, yeah, she knows, but it wasn't too late for Newt. Um, I just thought that was an interesting thing. Um, 
But I think Newt was a whole different thing. She wasn't really, she wasn't just rescuing Newt. She was rescuing her daughter, like Amanda Ripley. So she was like her second chance, you know. Absolutely. Um, And this was still like at the peak of the 1980s. So times were obviously way different back then. And in comparison to a lot of films that came out in the 1980s, you know, late 1980s, mid 1980s, whatever, I think it stands tall above the rest. Um, oh, absolutely! I, I completely agree. You have some, you have some really homogenous films in the 1980s, especially with sequels. And Star Wars, I thought, had two great sequels to the original trilogy. I could speak for days about them. <laughs> yeah, which but, I think um, we can talk about them. Like, what, why the sequels with Star Wars worked? Like, why did Empire work? Why did Empire Strikes Back work? Um, and I think Empire Strikes Back worked because it, it further fleshed out these characters. It made Luke, it turned Luke not just into this, oh, hey, I'm a goody two-shoes and I want to do everything right. Luke then took on a darkness in the Empire Strikes Back. He engaged a darkness. Right. He it, 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 it dove deeper into his into his psyche. And then, of course, we had the introduction of Yoda. And, and Star Wars took on this mythical, spiritual, almost religious tone. And I think... Being people, um, many people. I'm not a person of of. I, I'm not. I don't belong to any religion, but I would call myself somebody of faith. Those right. chords strike deep in us, and I think Empire was so successful because it struck those chords within us, and uh, mm-hmm. just how dark it went. And I don't think people are so much captured by the darkness of it, but I think it just reflected. Their own, that own, that nature within us that we deal with, and I can get really philosophical on this. And uh, oh, absolutely! And, Star Wars is a is a philo- philosopher's you know field day. You oh, can yeah. talk about it because it it's this culturally rich film that just takes so much from uh, all the different cultures of the world and it sets them in space. It's a space opera. It's uh, it's a journey of. Uh, you know, a couple people, half dozen people, and it's their story um, about the universe. And uh, one of my one of my film professors was telling me, you know, you watch these great big epic movies like Two Thousand and One, or just these crazy big blockbusters, and it seems like there's so much going on. But when you boil it down, it's literally just like two or three people, three, four, or five people, and only a couple big events happening. Yeah. And I think Star Wars really capitalized on that. Yeah, I would agree. And I think the best science fiction is, and and I think when sequels are successful, especially in the world of science fiction, because I think that's what I'm trying to stick that to. That is very hard to do in it science is. fiction. It is. And I think when, when people lose their way, um, and I won't, I don't think Indiana Jones is science fiction, but I'm going to talk about it just for a minute. For instance, I think, obviously, The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull wasn't successful. Why it wasn't successful? Because the inherent story of the, fi- of, of the film was stupid. And it wasn't smart. It wasn't, there wasn't this, for Indiana Jones, there was this kind of over, he was kind of fighting the Nazis. He had this great grand cause. Certainly, he was a, a, an archaeologist, and there was things that he wanted. Um, but there was a real fight to um, defeat the Nazis and to kind of um, there, there's there's fight this for other, the greater good yeah fight for the greater good and there's this there's and you felt that with like uh, 
uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom and certainly The Last Crusade that there's this other thing happening within the same universe as Indiana Jones um, that's kind of pushing towards him that you're seeing like the Nazis and the people who are after these these artifacts for their own good to to do whatever with but Indiana was there to represent um, the good in man and he's rep he's, he wants to grab these artifacts to say hey no this is this is a testament to who we are as people but then you have the kingdom of the crystal skull which threw all that on its ass and it was like oh alien like the greater that greater story that greater arc that was supposed to be happening it ended up falling flat because you know you had shitty effects just the story and the the chemistry was off um like the the story felt really manufactured it didn't feel organic and natural felt very very forced yes absolutely absolutely um i i also think that uh again we can briefly talk about prometheus too and i prometheus isn't really a sequel but it sort of is a sequel slash prequel and and i know i touched this on, on this before so i don't want to go too far into it i'll let you Tell me what you what you think, but um, again, I think within science fiction, there's larger stories. But why Alien and Aliens were successful is was is because they were smart films, and they were they were right. incredibly written. the The characters lived and breathed. Um, they felt real. They were real. Um, the dialogue was natural and it flowed. Even in Aliens, the dialogue is so good. Um, the banter and even the the funny like the one liners from Hudson. Um, they How do we real, get out of this chicken shit outfit? Yeah, yeah, because people, they get in situations where, you know, even though they're trained Marines, they're fighting these alien creatures. and it's scar- still people. Yeah, and they're scaring the shit out of Hudson. And that's what you're going to do in a situation where you don't know, where you have no outlet and you can't get away. You're going to freak out. So that's what Hudson was right. doing. And then you had Gorman, who also freaked out. He just, he was incompetent. He, he freezes up. Yeah. Yeah. He just gets locked up. He can't do anything. Absolutely. Because he's inexperienced. Yeah. Um, and I, I just feel like it was, it. James Cameron, He again, he just brought, he brought, you know, 110% to the table in terms of writing. I mean, he really, Ripley continued to kind of flesh out her own character, and she was just as smart as she was in the first film. Um, and, if not smarter. Yeah, if not smarter. And the film treated the audience with respect and a lot of films these days do not treat the audience with respect. They treat the audience like they're stupid. Um, and I think that's what Prometheus's problem was. Um, and I think that's what Indiana Jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull was. And I know this isn't wasn't really a sequel. Um, but I, I'm just going to talk about it briefly. Uh, Jupiter ascending. Have you seen it? I have not, but I hear very negative things about it, and it's sad because I was very excited to watch it. Yeah, I, I heard I, it bombed. I, it did, and you know I'd heard a lot of negative things as well. And I've been a fan of the Wachowski brothers or the Wachowski siblings. Now I should call them. Um, right. And I saw the film just because I thought, you know, I don't care what people are saying. I want to go and make my own, make up my own mind. And I left the film, and my jaw was on the floor like. The film was so incredibly, it made the audience feel so incredibly stupid. Um, The writing was so bad. Um, The character of Jupiter, played by Mila Kunis, was written so terribly. She was a damsel in distress the entire film. They revealed to her that she's this magical whatever, but it doesn't mean anything. 
And every single time she is saved by Channing Tatum's character. Every single time. She doesn't save herself. She kind of offers herself up towards the end a little bit. But she doesn't... She's always in this... She's always falling and screaming. And Channing Tatum comes to save her on his on, with his moon boots. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh God. it's that bad. And uh, and then, like, there's a couple of... Channing Tatum is, is half wolf. Although, even though he looks mostly human. He's got pointy ears. Um, and... I, I, again, I won't get too much too far into this, but like uh, Sean Bean is in there, and his name he is... probably dies like five minutes in. Oh, uh, actually, he doesn't. Uh, but <laughs> wow, that's a new record. His name is Stinger. <laughs> his name is Stinger, and his hair is cut on the sides like it looks like a bee. And in his house are all these beehives because he's a little bit part bee, but it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. Like it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't lead so there's anywhere. There's just a lot of inconsistencies and things that are in for no no good reason. Yeah. Which gets back to the idea of making, or the fact that making good sci-fi is very difficult. And the best sci-fi respects its audience. Um, and when the, when the writer writes a film like the audience is stupid, that the audience has to, like After Earth. Again, it's not a sequel, but After Earth. Have you seen After Earth? That's the one with the, the Smiths? Yeah. Uh, no, I, but I did not hear good things about it. Okay, well, I won't get. I won't even talk about that. Watch that, and we'll talk about it sometime, and uh, we'll compare it. But again, I just, I really think a good sequel respects its audience, um, and I, I think, and it respects, and it respects the story that preceded it. Absolutely, absolutely. Which I don't think Alien Resurrection did whatsoever. And uh, no, but did you see? There was a clip with. Um, Neil Blomkamp, and he was talking, this is just a more recent clip, like I think he was interviewed a couple days ago, um, and he's standing somewhere, and he said, you know, I came to Fox with this story. They didn't, he said, this is a very different thing, what's happening. They don't have a movie that they want a director to make, and they want the director to do whatever they, they tell them to. I have a story that I went to them with, and I said, I want to make this film, and they said yes. And he said, and that's a big difference. Um, which I thought was really important because that's what James Cameron did. Yeah, um, interestingly enough, I believe Ridley Scott was, I want to say, the second or third choice with directors for the original Alien film. Yes. And you have to remember, Alien is literally only his second film. Yeah. Um, he did The Duelists or a couple years earlier, and then before that he just did commercials and yep. things like that for BBC. Um, they asked him to do it. Yeah. And he gladly chose to do so. So he brought a lot of great ideas to the table. Um, I was I was reading in my art appreciation book. I think I mentioned uh, they they brought up Ridley Scott. There was like a chapter on him, and uh, he, I I can paraphrase him as saying that what he does with his movies, like the big ones, like Blade Runner and Alien, is that he creates worlds. Yeah. And uh, and I think that's one of the big hallmarks of the series is that they just capitalize on the world that um ridley created with the help of all the people that worked on the concept team and effects and just all the people coming together to make his dream happen with the script yeah and i think he got lucky to be honest and i i think in his earlier days and i uh, just like with Lucas, I think when you're when these younger directors, they're fighting, maybe not so much fighting with the studio, but they, they have to really fight to get their voice heard. They have a budget they have to work within. They don't have means to any and all money possible. Um, so they have to work within the, the parameters that are set. And usually the best art that you see 
film, whether it's traditional art or whatever, it comes from this really organic place of struggle. And you think of, I, I think about um, you know the original trilogy of Star Wars, Alien, Blade Runner, um, that came out in a time in Ridley Scott's life and George Lucas's life when they were um, in a very different space. So their work really reflected, like for instance in Blade Runner, uh, uh, Ridley Scott had, um, there's a lot of problems with Blade Runner. There's a lot of problems on the set, a lot of problems with Fox. Um, Ridley Scott's brother had just died. Um, well, um, and then Harrison Ford, obviously he said he clashed with Ridley oh, on yeah. the set all the time. Yeah. He felt forced to do Deckard's role. Yeah. And, uh, Blade, Blade Runner's a Warner Brothers picture, I believe. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, yeah. And Lad and, Company. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I think, but even during all of that tumult and strife and just whatever that kind of chaos that was happening on set behind the scenes, they produced this incredibly, incredibly amazing film that ha, that is rated as one of the best science fiction films ever made um, today. Um, so it, collectively, yeah, absolutely. Um, as is Alien, which is it's interesting that Ridley Scott and I think that's why the bar was set so high for him with Prometheus um, was because he set that bar high, and then he completely lost that bar. And I think with world building, and I think that's the issue with again. I know we're talking sequels, but just in terms of successful science fiction films. Um, it's not just about world building. It's about story, story, story. And if you can't get the story right, it doesn't matter how pretty that world looks. Um, it's going to fail. Absolutely. Cause you have to make it believable. Um, I know that the majority of the people that are going to be going to see like a science fiction film are going to be like intelligent people that are interested in science fiction, you know, just generically. And then they, I don't know where I was going with that, but, <laughs> but um, they just, they know what to expect because like you said, the bar has been set by people like George Lucas, uh, Ridley Scott, obviously James Cameron, just these huge names in science fiction. And it's, it's crazy how you were mentioning like their product, their end result was because of all the, the tension and all the struggles and they just kept trucking along and produced something. So all these great films are the result of essentially like all these crazy things happening and just all this tension and, and all that. But, um, yeah, you can't, you can't make a world and convince the audience that they're stupid at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, again, it, it all goes back to respect aside from aliens and the star Wars, the original star Wars sequels, what other science fiction sequels can you think of that, were really good and that were that really serviced <clears throat> the audience. Can you think of anything? Uh, I can definitely say 2010 definitely paid its respect. Absolutely. I agree. Um, 2010 is an amazing film. I get a lot of shit for this next one, but I think the prequel to The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, was phenomenal. You know, I would agree with you, to be honest. Uh, I think it was a worthy prequel. I think what suffered in the film was the effects they went all CG, and they shouldn't have. They should have honored. I mean, you, with the technology that we have today, practical effects are incredible. Um, and right. Like, they have that new movie, Harbinger Down, coming out. Yeah. Which, that looks phenomenal. Directed by Alec, Alec... No, it's directed by Tom Woodruff, Woodruff Jr., I think. And their ADI, they are doing the effects. It's a very practical film. Um, but yeah, aside from... 
yeah, I mean, I I, th- I thought the thing was really good. I just didn't like the the CG at the end. Um, but I, I'm trying to think. You really you can't really think of too many sequels. What's interesting though is this is not really sci-fi. It's more horror. But uh, Scream Two, Scream Two, when that came out, there was a whole conversation in the classroom with these students about sequels and the the rules for sequels, and they're talking about good sequels. Can you name them? And the one of the first ones is I give you aliens. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, 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 Aliens, or The Godfather Part Two. But I think inherently, intrinsically, doing sequels is very, very difficult. Um, it is. And you can't service the fan community with sequels. You have to really be daring. And I think that's part of the reason why I liked Alien 3 is because Fincher uh, was daring. And he said, fuck you, sorry, this is, the, this is what I'm doing. And I liked that. I liked that um, he turned everything on its head. Now... Someone said, I think even Bloomkamp said in an interview, again, very recently, he said, you know, the world of that Ridley Scott created and that James Cameron continued really changed. It really disappeared after Aliens. And I could right. see that. Right. And it's, it's kind of sad. Um, you know, hot off, hot off the heels of these two great films and then... Yeah. 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 Um, so I, I just... Uh, I, I, I mean, I... Hats off to, well, first of all, hats off to Fox for even, I, I never thought we'd see another Alien sequel. No, not, I, I did not think that would ever happen. Especially with Ripley. I mean, Sigourney Weaver's 65 years old. I mean, she looks great, like we were talking about before. She doesn't look a day past 50. Um, no. But I just, I mean, it's like a dream come true for me. I mean, I, I, it's all I've been thinking and, 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 and eating is Alien these days. But uh, Absolutely. Uh, so hats, More so since we... Uh, more so since we have our podcast. But yeah. yeah, like you said, it's 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 a dream come true. It's great. There's a lot of things that have been dreams come true. Um, Alien Isolation is definitely a dream come true, which is um, – it's just crazy to see like a true Alien game come out. Um, I know you said you're not much of a gamer, but the last Alien game that came out before um, Isolation was called Colonial Marines, and that went through – I want to say eight years of development in hell before it finally came out, and the end result was horrid. It was disgusting. It was bad. Now that's interesting. Um, you bring that up too, because I I don't know anything about Colonial Marines, but I'd like to hear more. That's essentially a sequel. Um, it's a sequel game. It is. It was a direct sequel to Aliens that was deemed canon by Fox, but I totally disregard that. Now, why did it fail to you? <laughs> it was. <clears throat> Why did it fail to me? Yeah. Um, it was made by Gearbox Software, who also makes the um, Borderlands video games, and they also are responsible for Duke Nukem Forever. Um, I'm sure you've heard of Duke Nukem. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big barrel-chested guy. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Aliens Colonial Marines, um, I just remember being in middle school, and there was a Game Informer front page article about this brand new alien game because sega at that point uh just finished signing like the contract to be able to make aliens games and they were like yeah we're gonna make this new alien game it's gonna be called colonial marines and you guys it's gonna be a direct sequel to aliens you play as a squad of marines you can control them and tell them what to do and it's gonna be phenomenal and like the pre-production 
concept art looked really promising. Some of the alpha and beta footage looked really promising. Um, like the gaming convention footage. I don't know if you've seen any of that. No. Uh, well, it looks, it's great. You know, it's just like, oh, you know, this is going to be really awesome. And then it finally comes out and it's just pure shit. Wow. Uh, it's really buggy. The story was god awful. Um, they didn't even have the correct ammo counter on the pulse rifle. <laughs> I felt slapped in the face. Yeah. Again, it's, it, it, again, it points back to sequels are hard to do. I mean, and I know it's a little bit different because it's a game and there's things that need to happen, um, in terms of software and bugs and, and, um, different th- code that they write and all that stuff. But at the same time, you have to have a good story. It has to be set up well, um, in order for it to exactly. be successful. And it doesn't matter if it's Marines, if it doesn't work, it's going to be terrible. And it, it largely as you, as I guess you and so many other people say, it was a flop. Um, it was it was a huge flop and a big slap in the face because we were promised something and none of those promises were ever, you know, fully realized. Um, the story essentially is you play as Marines that board the Sulaco to try and find out what happens because um, it take, I think it takes like six or eight weeks after Alien, which makes no sense because Hudson said it would be 17 days before anybody came to rescue them. You know, biggest at biggest as far as we know, uh, military force in the universe, and it takes them eight weeks to find a goddamn lost spaceship. Yeah. So that that kind of set me off a little bit, and then um, just just it 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 just gets really shitty from there. There's like. These Whalen Utani PMCs that come in, like the uh, the mask guys at the end of three that come with Bishop, okay. Essentially them and <sighs> it was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> the ending was reminiscent of Aliens. You fight the Queen, um, and just it was so bad. Yeah, I don't even want to think about it. I'm getting a <laughs> headache. No, no, <laughs> but, I hear you. And you know, this gets to. I wrote down some notes just in terms of. Getting back to obviously Bloomkamp's sequel, um, which right. is going to be. Oh, and I think uh, segueing into more talking more about that. Um, there's been a lot of talk that. Uh, well, first we heard that um, this Alien Five ish Aliens sequel, whatever it's going to be, was going to kind of retcon Alien Three and Alien Resurrection, and then Bloomkamp said no. I'm not going to undo those films. And so I've been reading on a lot of different sites, people trying to figure out, well, how is he going to work that then if he's going to bring Hicks back? And what I think is going to happen is he's just going to not touch them. This is my sequel to Aliens. Those films exist, and that's how it's going to be. Um, And Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection will be expanded universe. They'll be alternate realities. I mean, or they'll be whatever we think they are. Um, and I think that's how um, Bloomcamp's gonna going to view them, and I, I think there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I, and I I think again, if, if he's going to get this right, and I, just talking a little bit about the alien mythos, and I know we discussed this a little bit between you and I in the in the past few days, and it doesn't get much airtime when people talk about alien. The real enemy of alien isn't the alien; it's the company. It is um, the company. Tried and true, yeah. by far, because at the end of the day, I think it was you who was saying, you know, aliens aren't fucking each other over for a percentage. Yeah. It's the company because 
they're goal oriented and their goal is profits and weaponization of the xenomorph. Yeah. And it speaks to what we deal with. I don't, I can't, there's so much going through my mind, even in terms of our last podcast, I don't want to retread some things that I say, but it just speaks to uh, that the idea that we live with big corporations and Mm -hmm. uh, they are very real and many of them do not have our best interests at heart. And so you take that into the, uh, the world of science fiction and you know, the company could give a shit about um, Ripley and company. And it, it was, that that quote, I mean, it's really, uh, what's his name? Uh, Paul Reiser's character. What was his name? I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. Um, Burke. Burke, yeah. And when she finds out Burke um, sabotaged her and the and the facehuggers and everything, and she goes, you know, Burke, I don't know which species is better. You don't see them fucking each other over for a goddamn percentage. And it really <laughs> becomes like, who's, this shit gets real. Yeah, and who's the bad guy here? Now, the aliens are just acting instinctual. They are they have a hive mentality. They're just trying to, uh, you know, certainly they're not they're these... They're space insects. Yeah, yeah, they're space insects. And living out their um, life cycle. But the they're alien... Just, they're just doing their thing. Yeah, but the alien isn't the enemy. The alien was never the enemy. Um, it's the company that's the enemy. And, and really, I, I think that... Uh, the heart of the alien story is a human story. It's not about the alien. It has never been about the alien. It was about normal people in a very abnormal situation and how they react to it. And we're following the story of one woman and how she reacts to essentially this, this creature and this company, this company taking over her life and making her feel like she is inconsequential to this, to this, um, biological weapon that they're after um and even her body is indispensable to them um as as they could they could care less absolutely absolutely and then i think more of it expanding on the whole evil corporation thing is um just the boardroom scene at the opening of aliens because they know what happened they know exactly damn well what happened and they they have the nerve to sit there and call this woman a liar based on everything she presented yeah and she says, Ripley says, she goes, I can see where this is going, but I'm telling you this, these things exist. Mm-hmm. Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? <laughs> yeah. But it's an interesting, it's an interesting um, paradigm shift where they're like, okay, um, they know, even though they know, I mean, they were trying to, you know, in the first Alien, they're trying to get Ash to get this thing for their weapons division. They've, they've known all along. They're making her seem like she's crazy, which, again, I'm going to go a little bit philosophical right now, and I think about, like, um, whistleblowers. Uh, Ripley was yeah. essentially a whistleblower, and you see many films about whistleblowers. And oftentimes, when whistleblowers go public with their with their knowledge, the company they're whistleblowing says, Oh no, they're crazy. Oh no, they're this. Oh, yeah. They no, try and bring, yeah. Cover it up. Oh yeah. And they try and yeah. bring out all this damaging stuff about them, um, to shut them up. And, uh, I, to, to kind of slide attention away from the, absolutely. And they were successful with Ripley. She was, you know, she ended up having to work in the cargo docks and, and then eventually they had to come back to her because their big installation ended up with no people because they didn't know what they were doing. Um, but still they bribed her like um, they bribed her like, okay, why don't you go down here with us and then we'll reinstate your pilot license or whatever. Um, when 
after after that's over, officer. Yeah, but they would never. They would. They, that I don't even think that was ever their their intention. Their intention was okay. Let's r- let Ripley go and find these things. Hopefully, Burke will get her back here or some of them back with an alien inside of them, so that we have the weapon that we've always been looking for. That's what I think. Exactly, and um, I think one of the more interesting things about the companies like thievery and and just being scumbags and whatever is that they have knowledge that the alien exists. But they're interested in it to make it a weapon, which shows like really malicious intent with what they want to do. Yeah. And I think that kind of ties in with, um, you know, like you were saying, a lot of modern day things like uh, political, economic things, um, like just big corporations and their uh, like the larger goals, the not public goals and things that they wish to accomplish. Or corporations or governments, world governments. Where, Behind the scenes. Yeah, that. yeah, where you know you have austerity measures going on. I don't want to get too political because that can be a bit divisive. But still, you have governments or corporations who say, oh, why don't we add this ingredient to this thing that we sell? Even though we know it's toxic, we're not going to tell anybody. Um, and, and because really, ultimately, these people are expendable over our profits. Um, they don't. Uh, they don't value the human life. Absolutely, and I, you know, I don't. I'm not going to name any corporation, but it's something that we as humanity struggle with. That struggle to live. That struggle to survive. That struggle to eat healthy. Um, that struggle to find out what's in our food. Um, then you, you know, you set all that in science fiction, and Ripley's kind of one of us. Um, she's like, hey, wait a minute, something's wrong here, and no one's listening to me, and someone better listen to me. Oh, which uh, this is going to get to a bit of a trivia part, but. There's, um, and I talked to you about this, Pete, already, but the concept that design that was released, or sketch that was released of Ripley and Hicks, um, they look like they're in a corridor or something, and, and Hicks has a gun in his hand. But Ripley has something else around her waist that I don't know if anyone's noticed. I never noticed it either. I thought maybe she was holding a gun, and I looked further, and what she has around her is like, a series of explosives and she's got the detonator in her hand like she's going to blow something up with herself in it um which i don't know if that hints to the larger story of what's going to happen but i don't know if anyone's noticed that so it maybe kind of gives us a hint that this is the end for ripley that it will be a proper send-off that there will be enough there won't be another alien with ripley in it yeah um and ultimately it's it's just another reflection of who she is as a woman you know, just she values other people's lives more than her own enough to, for the greater good, sacrifice herself entirely and just completely ensure that nothing will ever come out of the alien at all. Yeah. It'll be curious to see what they the do. ultimate sacrifice. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, she kind of did that with Alien 3 as well. She was the ultimate sacrifice. You know, she gave up her life to so the queen wouldn't, you know, survive or whatever. But it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Newt. I'm just fascinated. Uh, unless Newt ends up dying in the cryotube, I'm not really sure. Um, but, yeah, it's just there's so much to there's so much to process. Yeah, we could uh, we could talk about what worked and didn't work with Alien Three since um, you said you're very fond of that one. Yeah, yeah. Let's um, talk if about you'd it. like, I can I can start off. Oh yeah, go ahead. One. Um, this is kind of both a positive and a negative at the same time. I thought the opening sequence for Alien Three was extremely powerful, but at the same time very dramatic, 
And, uh, you know, there's people that argue about the consistency of how the alien egg got in there and uh, what happened and this and that and blah, blah, blah. Who cares? At the end of the day, it's it's very powerful and it sends a message. It's like, you know, haymaker punch to the face. Um, and, I, and then I thought the uh, all-male prison planet was a great concept. And then the strong relationship between Dylan and Ripley really cemented the last half of the film for me. Yeah. Um, the set design and the hysteria factor really especially stood out. And then uh, Bishop, I thought, was a nice addition, you know, bringing back a familiar face. Yeah. Um, certainly one that Ripley would recognize, but people question if he's android or human, just like Deckard in Blade Runner. Yeah. And then, you know, just Ripley's suicide, It's that's the end for her. But I didn't like uh, the cardboard characters, uh, the special effects. Uh, I didn't like those at all. The alien birth is complete <laughs> and utter bullshit. Yeah. The uh, design of the creature I thought was too much of a far cry from the original without bringing anything new and interesting to the table yeah. while doing so. And then you have the plot, which is almost entirely rising action with minimal exposition or climax. You know, it's just like, okay, there's an alien in the movie, but the entire time it's just rising action. And then... That's it. It climaxes and that's the end. And then the chase and ending sequence was completely unnecessary, I thought, because it's just killing time for the ultimate end of everything. And it's just like, okay, well, let's kill off as many background characters as we can in yeah. 10 minutes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I thought they could have done more. Morse was like the only. Morse and 85 were the only two somewhat rounded off characters, in my opinion. Um,. Clemens was interesting, but they didn't give him any time to breathe. Um, but essentially, though, if you move back from that, it's not even so much the characters. It was, uh, and even Sigourney Weaver had said this in interviews, um, Alien 3 didn't push the story any further. It was Ripley in another situation where there's an alien loose and no one believes her, and then they don't have any weapons. I mean, they obviously they had weapons in... They had weapons in Aliens, but they didn't have any weapons except for the incinerator in Alien 3, in the first Alien film. Um, but it didn't do anything for the narrative of the franchise of the saga. Um, it wasn't pushing us to any new territory. Yeah, it was a little bit of a new setting, but it was the same old story. The company wants it for the, a weapons division. We're expendable. Back to the roots, yeah. essentially. And it, was, yeah. it was just back to the roots. Normal yeah. people yeah. and an alien. Yeah, and that's so not so much bad... Um, but you've got to make it, you have to make a, uh, you have to make it tangible because it was yeah. really, really heavy handed. And you've got to, yeah, it was heavy handed, but you've got to make those normal people in, a, in an abnormal situation different than the other situation. And there's got to be, exactly. there's got to be a turn and the turn just can't be, oh, now Ripley has an alien inside of her. It's got to be different than that. And, you know, at the same time though, as I'm talking about this, it's really easy to criticize why movies are bad. It's really easy to criticize, well, this sucked and this sucked, and the fan community loves to do it. I criticize the the prequel trilogy for Star Wars all the time. Um, but I can <laughs> but I can artic I can articulate why those are bad. Um, but and they're not just bad because they're not films that I wanted to see. Um, and I don't want to get into that, but we'll stick with Alien 3. I, I think it's very difficult, I think, when you, you, okay, say you have a script 
And with Alien 3, obviously, we've discussed this before. It went through many iterations, many different directors' hands um, before it actually got given to Fincher, who was basically like, hey, Fincher, you're a new director. You make this film, but you make the film we tell you to make, um, as opposed to I'm making the film I want to make. Um, and I think right. making, making it was the corporation again telling people what to do yeah. without concern. Yeah, for yeah. Fox, the human at the end of the day. Fox, Fox unwittingly. <laughs> Which is extremely ironic. Yeah, the 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 government of Fox at that time, because I know they're very different people now, and they're awesome. But back at, in those days, Fox was the company, um, and they ended up kind of screwing up this really beloved franchise. Um, and uh, oh, I had a larger point that I was trying to make that I forgot. But uh, I, I just, uh, they, they didn't service the story. The story didn't go anywhere with Ripley. Um, it, if any if anything, it was just a long, hard death. And it made everybody mad because they felt like there was no, there was no, not so much a resolution like, oh, I need everything to be happy, but the, it wasn't see, satisfactory. See, the, alien, the alien films are just pure substance. And... What the last two sequels lacked was just exactly that. Absolutely. There's very little substance in it. And it was all... Which is what I think you were trying to get at. Yeah, and it was all like, oh, great, this looks great. The set for Alien Resurrection looked beautiful. Um, it was shot incredibly beautiful. Um, the I, I have a problem with the Alien design um, from Alien and Alien Resurrection. I think it looked more rubbery. It didn't have that sleek Geiger look. It looked muddy. It looked too slimy. Like, the original Alien was this beautiful creature. Um, terrifyingly beautiful, apps for sure. Um, but I just... I, I, I never was a fan of... Like, if you've seen Geiger's um, design for the creature for Alien 3, I'm sure you've seen it. It was beautiful. Oh, yeah. The... Uh... It looks kind of like a hood ornament and like a Bentley or something. Yeah. It's just phenomenal. Yeah, and it was sleek and the legs were long and it was like a dog and that, that head with the lips of almost it like... It looked a... extremely like more of the biomechanical look Oh yeah, this original artwork went for. Just the crazy, hyper-sexualized, you know, insane appearance of things. Yeah, yeah. And, and, then... and Alien 3 went so far away from that that it wasn't even funny. Yeah, it did, and they didn't really stick to his designs, and I think what I attribute to Ridley Scott, Ridley Scott let Geiger build this creature, it was all Geiger's design, everything was Geiger's design, and it was flawless, and the creature was terrifying because Geiger was involved, and I think James Cameron did a pretty good job of continuing that. The The creature still felt beautiful and deadly, and he, he, you know, he changed some things a little bit, um, but he changed him and enhanced it. And then Alien 3 just kind of fell off the, it fell off the, the, the horse. Yeah, we really. don't even talk about resurrection. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, I think it's pretty clear that Alien 3 polarized a lot of people, not just fans, but even people who are involved in the franchise. I mean, uh, H.R. Giger totally just went ass backwards with it and said, you know what? No, I'm kind of mad now. And he refused to do any interviews about the film. And then Hicks, for his appearance, like just basically his name and thumbnail being in the film, he got paid just as much as he did for Aliens, yeah. that entire film, yeah. just for being in there, like essentially mentioned yeah. and being like a corpse. That's there, how much he got. And there was a lot of uh, trouble with Geiger, too. They didn't credit Geiger at the end of Alien 3 for the creature design, and that's what made Geiger mad. And then finally, they went and added his name as the, the designer for the creature in Alien 3. Um, it was a, a, they, 
and that was a, a source of contention with Geiger and Fox for many, 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 many years. And then they did Alien Resurrection, and then finally, which was weird too with Prometheus. I don't know if you remember, but but during the build up to Prometheus and all of the you know the the like the featurettes that were happening before the film release, Ridley Scott was talking about yeah we brought we brought we brought Geiger back and he did some murals for us when in fact none of it was true. Geiger didn't do anything. He had a couple of designs that they didn't even use. Um, and I was a little bit yeah, sore uh, about that. I, I think, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that made him pretty mad. But um, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, essentially what Prometheus was doing, um, just totally new direction for everything. You know, sleek new designs, which in some ways worked and in some it didn't. And then just totally new creature design and just... Uh, all these different new things. They're totally abandoning a lot of the roots that made it great. But like you were saying earlier, um, sequels, it's hard to capitalize on something great without repeating it again because you can make a wonderful thing once, but if if you're hard-pressed to make a second wonderful thing without repeating it, you know, you're going to have trouble. Yeah, and, and I, you know, we talked about this too. Uh, Cameron had a little bit of trouble. I, I wouldn't say it was trouble because... Aliens is pretty much a flawless sequel. It's one of the best sequels in history ever, period. Um, but he did retread some of, beat for beat, some of Alien. Um, so there was a little bit of like, I, okay, really original except for that end. Um, <laughs> and including the blowing out of the alien uh, of the airlock. Um, and then, you have to admit, though, that's one of the most oh, epic yeah. moments oh, yeah. of science fiction cinema ever. Yeah, and it took the, the, the airlock scene from Alien and it, made it 10 times more badass. Um, but then you have in Alien Resurrection, the the newborn was also blown out an airlock, again, in a very weird, gross way. Um, but again, it was essentially the same thing happening again. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I again, I it's really easy to discuss these things, but, uh, and I know many different fans have in their mind what they'd like to see. A lot of them are just colonial marines. Um, but I want... I want the sequel to certainly feel like the same world that uh, Ridley Scott and James Cameron created, but I also want it to make me feel uncomfortable a little bit and push my boundaries and not give me everything that I want. I want it to do things that I don't want. I don't want to. Be, I don't want anything to be expected. You know. Exactly, because then it just kind of then it just kind of spoils the fun. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think we could talk about before we go on further with Prometheus. Um, we could talk about Alien Resurrection if if we dare. <laughs> yeah, let's let's talk about it because there's a fuck ton wrong with that film. <laughs> um, I th- I thought the alien experimentation was interesting, and especially the clone killing sequence. Yes. was was a hallmark for that film. Yeah, um, the swimming alien sequence that was pretty cool. And then this one is kind of a positive and a negative. I thought the Betty crew was interesting and diverse, but not all of them. Um, like the guy with the uh, the dreadlocks, I thought he was awesome. And then um, Ron Perlman's character, I think Joner? Yeah. Joner, whatever. Uh, he was badass. And then um, I, I thought it was just poorly filmed. And then the creature design kind of reflected that. But that, that. I mean, that's just my opinion. I know you were praising the cinematography on Resurrection. Um, 
And then I thought the newborn was totally unnecessary, and there were just way too many background characters that got too much screen time. And and aside from that, I'll just okay. There's this one point where they cut to Sigourney Weaver in the Queen's Lair, and the um, and this was in the theatrical when I saw it in the theater. The um, the voiceover they use, they they do um, voiceover to kind of match up. It was totally off. So you see Brad Dorif talking about beautiful butterfly and he's all cocooned up but what he's saying isn't matching what's coming out of his mouth and it's on the dvd and the blu-ray too like oh my I'm like, god you guys couldn't fix that you couldn't fix that in post-production it, it was, it's, it's not worth fixing you know yeah it well, comes a certain point with yeah, anything yeah <laughs> it's not worth fixing. and that's very true too and i think again old tropes call played by winona Ryder. she's an alien she's a uh, an android oh but nobody knew just like ash why are we seeing this again we didn't need to see this see this again and I've read the original script that Joss Whedon wrote. It's very different. It's it's. I don't even think it's that interesting because there, there's some set pieces that are interesting. The way the alien is described, the newborn is described, is rather interesting. And it's got wings, which I'm glad they got rid of. If they would have given the alien wings, I would have been like, "Fuck this." I mean, I already. Yeah, I don't. This. I'm not that far with Alien Resurrection where I say "fuck this," but I don't like the film. Um, but the way Joss Whedon wrote the newborn was ridiculous. Um, but there's just, I mean, there, I mean, I, I, I liked, I think, the idea of the cat, the crew of the Betty being diverse. But I like feel like pirates. Yeah, they were, but they were just. I, I, I feel like they were poorly acted. Um, they didn't seem like believable characters. They were trying really hard to make them like these normal guys and, and quirky, but too quirky. Like Yafet Koto playing Parker, he was. That quirky. is that is normal as fuck. Yes. That is like the most normal person you can ever get in an alien film. yeah and even most believable and, and they were they were truck drivers like everybody says you know uh parker and um brett brett right. yeah they, they just had this camaraderie between the two because they're more gr- like grunts they worked on the engine they kind of did more they did all the shit when everybody sat around yeah and then, then you had the pilots who were kind of there was like a, a class system going on even within the crew of the nostromo um, and that really, really, really worked well. Um, and it worked well in Aliens, too, because they people think Ripley's unstable, but they're bringing her along on this trip. And, you know, Gorman is superseding whatever she's saying. He's not heeding her warnings. So you have that system, that class system, even with Burke being present. Burke is the suit. But James Cameron wrote it in such a way that Burke was really... Um, Burke was believable. I mean, uh, that he was like, oh, I'm better than all of you. And, you know, I make these decisions. And it reflects life, you know. Whereas with Alien Resurrection, they looked cool, but that's all they did, you know. Yeah, I didn't I didn't like the whole military aspect, and especially the, the Walmart owns everything. Yeah, we talked about that before, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, come on. Um, there are many things that Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection could have been. But unfortunately, none of those ended up being what we got. So that's why I am placing almost all my faith in Bloomcamp and what he has to bring to the table for the next film. Um, what do you think could be uh, different things, whether thematic or visual or um, story-wise, that could make uh, Alien 5 or whatever it's called um, solid in your book? A fitting sequel. A fitting to aliens. A fitting sequel. I think again, it will revolve around the company. It will revolve around um, uh, how far the company has gone. I mean, 
I think it's pretty obvious that uh, Hicks and Ripley and maybe Newt and Bishop possibly are going to wake up um, years later um, in, a, in an installation of some sort. Um, I, I think, again, going back to really the, 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 the core evil of the company, them being the bad guys, that's what's going to make the, the film successful. Whether Ripley carries a gun or not, isn't gonna, I don't really care. Um, whether even Hicks carries a gun or not, to me, it's going to be their chemistry. Um, if they still can have that chemistry, because if you, a lot of times you reunite these actors who had great chemistry 20 years ago, 25, 30 years ago, and they don't have the same chemistry. Um, and that's going to be really, really important. Just like it's going to be important in the force awakens that Leia and Han have chemistry, the similar chemistry they had in their, in the original trilogy. And I think, the chemistry and the dialogue, to me, are the most important. Um, in terms of story, I'm open. I'm open to whatever story he gives me. Um, which we should mention, by the way, Chappie comes out this Friday. I think everybody should go and see it and support Bloom Camp. Um, I think Chappie might even give us a, a window into what we might see in Alien 5 or whatever it's going to be called. Because um, he was working on the concept designs for for his alien during the post-production. So I, I, I think it's going to be really telling. And, of course, Sigourney Weaver's in it. I think we should all support it. Um, but I, I'm interested to see, because he uh, Bloomkamp talked about how kind of Elysium went off the tracks, um, how he writes his own ship with Chappie. Um, and Chappie's, a, it kind of throws the robot thing, how in most movies, robots are the evil, they're going to take over the world. Whereas with Chappie, no, this robot wants to learn and live. And I think that's a very kind of Pinocchio AI kind of thing. So, um, we'll see. I, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I just don't really have any expectation for the story. What about you? What I'm thinking would be really, really good for alien five is that it just picks up after aliens, but takes place independent from, uh, three and resurrection. So like you were saying, like the uh, um, the alternate timeline universe type deal. Yeah. I think that would be wise for him to do. Um, definitely, I mean, we have Hicks and Ripley back on board. I think they should attempt to bring back Bishop. You mentioned there was a uh, fan petition yes, to get the, him back. Yeah, there's a petition to get Lance Henriksen back. I'm all for it if it works in the story. I don't jump on those things right away. I don't know about you. Um no. They only should get Bishop back if Bishop works in the story, not just to service uh, the character. I know I've reached out to Lance Henriksen for an interview for our podcast. Hopefully he says yes. I'm all for getting him on board on this film. I mean, if that's what Bloomkamp wants. Um, but at the same time, that's just not with Bishop. But let's. I, it's important to me that uh, Bloomkamp or whoever honors their own story and not just fan wishes. Because oftentimes what fan wants isn't what's best for the saga. I mean, Chappie looks phenomenal. District 9 was really good. I mean, you know, two out of three ain't bad. No, <laughs> not bad. at all. And you Yeah, know, I'm about it. District 9 made some great money. Um, even Elysium, as is, is difficult a time as I had with um, the story of Elysium um, and elements of it, it was beautiful to look at, and I think that it really... Um, it was a different vision, and it's a film I hadn't seen before, and it kept his aesthetic up. Um, he has a very specific aesthetic, and I know people have talked about, oh, what are the aliens going to look like? Are they going to look like, you know, um, you know, creatures that live in shanty towns in South Africa? Somebody wrote that. Um, but I, I trust, I really trust um, 
obviously between you and me, and I've mentioned this before, maybe I don't think it made it to our last podcast, but between me and Pete, there's an 18 year difference. So I'm 38 and Pete is 20. Um, but in terms of our likes and what we pretty much vibe on the same thing and we have the same expectations and we see the franchise in different ways, but very similar ways too. Um, and I think that, uh, I, I trust that Bloomcamp's love of the alien lore isn't just, I love these films. I want to make another one just like it. It's no, I love this, these films and I want to honor these characters with a story that's going to honor them and make them smart as smart as, um, Ridley Scott made Ripley and company and as smart as James Cameron wrote Ripley and company, which by the way, who wrote the, who wrote the finalized script for alien? I don't think I know that. Do you? Um, I'm looking at my poster right now. Uh, story by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shusett, who I believe served as, um, they were also producers, I believe. Executive, or yes. one, of, one of the guys was. Yes. Uh, Ronald Chusett was the uh, executive producer. I'm just looking at the poster right now because I got one. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was uh, Dan O'Bannon and uh, screenplay by Dan O'Bannon, the stories by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Chusett. So they were the ones that came up with it because they did an earlier film called Dark Star, yes. which was um, kind of like a proto alien, but a dark comedy at the same time. The, yeah. the uh, creature in that was just a spray painted volleyball, yeah. a beach ball. I don't think arms. I've ever seen dark star to be honest. I should, I haven't either. Um, I want to say John Carpenter directed it, but Google foo will have the answer. Oh yeah, Google, I'm sure. Google foo is handy. Which, let me, let me double check. I, I believe he's the director on that. Um, and, and, and I attribute like the success of Alien also not just Ridley Scott because like, also these films and I always want to shout this out as a, as someone who has always been a um, fan of science fiction and creature films and all that kind of thing the success of these films isn't just based off of Ridley Scott or James Cameron or Neil Blomkamp it's the success of these films are because all of these people these craft makers and um, digital designers, they all come together and they make this world that services a vision. And the people behind the scenes are just as responsible as someone like Ridley Scott or James Cameron, who are certainly captains of the ship. But I love to credit these people um, where credit is due. Even ADI, you know, or Tom Woodruff Jr. and Alec Gillis, uh, they were also responsible for a lot of the, the look and the craftsmanship of the aliens in Aliens. And I attribute a lot of that to them, and they are part of the success of the film. And, it, you know, and I think a lot of times these these effects artists um, are... I don't think they're thrown by the wayside, but people are so focused on the actors and the directors, they forget that the crew is just as important. Um, right, like, it's, it's, it's essentially like um, attributing all of Star Wars' success simply to George Lucas when, in fact, it's these dozens and dozens of people with equal amounts of talent, you know, just like equivalent equitable talent that yep. just come together. And like you said, serve the vision of this one person and they're responsible for making sure it comes together in a, uh, in a manner that's suitable to their liking and that appeases to the studio's wishes and demands and their budget. Yeah, uh, I mean, again, I, I could go on and on and on. I, I, it's funny, I had so many things in my mind, and now we're here talking, and I feel like I forget things, even with my notes. But uh, maybe, <laughs> exactly. we, maybe we should transition to um, giving our... Uh, well, first, I, I want to say, 
we are interested into we're interested in what the fans think what do you guys think uh makes a good sequel um we would love to hear your comments and in fact um what we want to do is have um you guys send in a recording of like 30 seconds or less of what you think is uh, a good sequel use your name where you live um and maybe tell us your favorite alien film in the series and what you think is going to make a good sequel. And we're going to host some of those messages on our, in our, in a future podcast, probably the next podcast. Um, so right. we would... and, uh, the easiest way for anybody to do that is if you have a smartphone with the uh, Facebook messenger app and you can directly message our page, uh, perfect organism. Uh, you can just open up, um, a message to us and there should be a record voice button in the message tab. So you can just send a, a voice message, uh, 30 seconds or less, uh, with the criteria that Jamie just mentioned. And uh, we will be posting them, um, some of the best ones for a future show. Absolutely. And uh, I think maybe we should go into um, talk kind of a shout out. And I know you wanted to shout out to AVP Galaxy, so I'll let you take that floor. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, big shoes to fill there. But um, I just, I just really want to thank the uh, wonderful people at AVP Galaxy for being the premier alien resource on the internet. And uh, we don't want to steal any of that thunder, but we we hope to become an equitable source for alien fans to come to and enjoy. And uh, I just really want to say thank you, especially to Corporal Hicks. Um, for sharing our page and just sending a lot of fans our way. We are more than grateful, Jamie and I, to uh, have been given the honor of being shouted out by the uh, most popular alien website out there. For sure. And there's also uh, Strange Shapes gave us a shout out. Um, and Alien Explorations, they gave us a shout out too. Thank you so much to you guys for doing that. It really, I mean, really, and also too, there is no other podcast about the Alien Saga than us. We are it. Um, and uh, we're honored to kind of be engaging in this community of so many great people, of so many different ideas and excitement. And we're just like so many of you, and we're so excited. And I'm drinking up every bit of, I mean, I've read, I've read the Michael Bean is in story probably six times. Um, exactly. Looking for different, maybe he said something a little bit different to somebody else. I've watched every interview that um, that uh, Neil Bloomkamp and Sigourney Weaver has given while they've been on the press junket for Chappie. Um, which, by the way, I should say real quick, it's inter- It's I, I don't know what you think, but it's it seems that um, the news about this alien film has really eclipsed Chappie. Um, exactly. It's kind of it's kind of moonlighting it right now. And I I would I mean unfortunately. Uh, you know, you, you let that kind of information out and you confirm that sequel. I mean, and people are going to go nuts. But again, like I said before, everybody, please go see Chappie. Um, I, I please think, support Neil. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, because the best, the better Chappie's going to do, the more freedom he ha- he's going to have to do what he wants to do with Alien, uh, his Alien film. Um, so Chappie opens this Friday. Go see it. I'm not paid by Fox, just so you know. <laughs> None, None of us, us are. are. <laughs> um, at the end of the day, this podcast is just essentially it's just really dedicated to the one thing that we love the most and that's the alien films whether you like the only the first two or you, or you like the third one or whatever we don't care we're uh we're all fans here and 
we're very happy to be doing something that so many people around the world are just really enjoying. And it, it's really heartfelt to just, you know, wake up in the morning and I'll check my notifications on Facebook and I'll see, you know, people from Australia and in Europe and just all these different countries around the world are writing on our posts and liking all the things we're doing and just saying, you know, this is awesome. Please keep it up. And, and it, uh, it's really a big confidence booster. And uh, we owe it all to you guys for, for just this runaway success, I guess, because when I was added as an administrator on the uh, Perfect Organism Facebook page, I want to say we had 16 likes. And yeah. That was less than a week ago. Yeah. And at the time of me saying this, we have boom, 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 boom. Let's uh, get a drum roll. Drum roll. Let's see how many fans we have as of March 3rd. Oh my God, it's taking forever. Perfect Organism has 337 likes. Woohoo! Almost 350 likes in a matter of like a week and two days' time. And we're getting like 20 likes every hour almost. Um, maybe not every hour, but almost like 20 to 25 likes. And uh, it's so important because without everybody liking our page and supporting us we're not going to be able to do what we i mean we could do it but the, the bigger the audience the better we're going to be you know exactly um, and the more people that bring attention to this page and share their love and everything that gives us more of an opportunity to get ourselves out there and so with with all the things that you guys do and all your interactions you're sharing us with the world and i think that's important because that that allows us to show the people that we want to have on our podcast, you know, big names, uh, like say Sigourney or something, you know, even, even people like them, they'll, they, they will notice us and we can, we can go from there. Yep. And bring uh, attention to ourselves. Yeah, totally. I mean, the bigger, the bigger we can get, the more people we can have on, but also we're not just interested in, you know, we've, we've already contacted the administrator for alien explorations. Um, he's interested in, um, talking to us, um, the the administrator and the the man behind Sith Fire. What's his name? Dayton Allen. Dayton Allen. He said makes he... some phenomenal oh, talk uh, about dioramas. Oh yeah, and action figures. He he's an active poster on the Wayland Yutani board. Oh yeah, and he um he's totally in to be interviewed, and I think it'll be great to be able to get into his head and talk about his love for the Alien Saga. And his love is different because it's come out in these amazing like dioramas and toys that he's built that, I mean, and I'm an artist. He is definitely, he's like hot toys level oh, yeah. of, of detail and craftsmanship. I would pay good money, good money for his work for sure. Um, and uh, lastly, I guess maybe to end this is we're doing a sound off and we were interested in what everybody has to, to say about this episode of this podcast. And we're going to, um, leave that open underneath the, the post or we're going to have a post separately and we just really want to hear your feedback on um, what you think and your ideas and your opinions and how we can get better and maybe if we were repeating ourselves too much or ideas for topics um, yeah so just be sure to let us know how we're doing and we'll make sure to make you guys happy get away from her you bitch